welcome to Happy Birthday Who Cares. Hello. Hi, My Valerie. name is Valerie Fairlight. Hi, Valerie. I'm Randall Rigo. We do a podcast together <laughs> every oh, week. And here comes Moon Cookie. And as always, Moon Cookie in the background. Uh, happy birthday. How's it going? It's going pretty good. Uh, the summer solstice has occurred. Oh, yes. It's summer, finally, but it got... Oh, fuck. I just spilled water on myself. <laughs> Okay, keep going. I'm fine. <laughs> so, okay. uh, yeah, summer solstice is happening, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting back in the pool, uh, but uh, I am patient, so we can do it soon. We did have a nice barbecue, though. Well, we didn't have one. We went to a nice barbecue. Thanks, Cheerios, for the nice barbecue. We saw a lot of fun people. Friends from out of town. Friends from out of town were there, and friends from t- in town were there, too. That was nice. Amazing. I had a good time. Uh, we got some good feedback this week from different people. Uh, did we get it from the phone number? Well, before I get into it, let me once again state how new people can reach out, and that is on Twitter or Instagram at HBWC Podcast. You can email us at happybirthdaywhocares at gmail.com or text or call us and leave a message at 501 420 4292. Or HBWC. Um, We got a birthday story from Tony who says, On my 30th birthday, I was lucky to have a photo pass for the band Tool. They played The Stone that night. Oh, I didn't even see this come in. Yeah. The Stone? (laughs) When's the last time you... (laughs) When did The Stone close? Oh, not too long after that, I think. Yeah, I was going to say. I thought it was done in the 80s. That must have been wild to see Tool at a place like that. Yeah. The Stone was a club in San Francisco that's about, I don't know, Less than 500 people. It's tiny. I always envision it as like some sort of garage or something like that, but maybe I'm thinking of some other place. Maybe I'm thinking of the Gilman. Felt like a garage. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, that's fun. That's a fun story. Um, we also got feedback from Dan, who says, I was watching my new favorite show on Netflix about gardening, where people are just nice to each other for an hour. But now it's happy birthday, who cares hour. The levels are perfect today. Well, thank you, Dan. That was very sweet. <laughs> you mean he interrupted his Netflix garden show watching in order to stop and listen to podcasts? I don't know. Or maybe he has his day very tightly scheduled and <laughs> Netflix time was over. I want to know what that show was. Hmm. We started watching some show on Netflix. Do you remember the name of it? No. The guy's name was Monty Dan? Monty Don. Don. Monty Don, and it's... Who's apparently a celebrity gardener, which is the thing we don't have here in America. Yeah, I'd like uh, I'd like there to be more celebrity gardeners. <laughs> uh, and that's in the UK, and it was really good, especially since we want to redo our garden, and we have all sorts of weird ideas. We've never really... I mean, I've never really had my own yard before, and we're bad at this. Yeah. Basically, we, we grow a lot of really tall weeds. Mm-hmm. We grow weeds, chop them down, and then they grow back. Mm-hmm. Endless cycle. We'd like it to be more organized and have more, maybe a deck or something. If you know anybody in Portland that builds patios, let us know. <laughs> yeah, just throwing that out there. <laughs> no, but for reals, if you do, <laughs> at HBWC Podcast on Twitter, please forward them along. Uh, I got a correction from Beth, who is oh. actually Dan's wife. Yeah, what is Beth? Beth? Beth says, Dan says the first Tesla was actually called a Roadster and was in a Lotus-made chassis. Okay. Thus, the Tesla models technically spell out Roadster Sexy Truck. That's awful. Roadster Sexy Truck. Is Truck the next one? 
Because they're going to make a truck? I guess so, yeah. They'll probably call it the Model T or something like Roadster that. Roadster sexy truck. Yeah. Anyway, she says, way less sexy. Also, I'm married to a pedant. She says, this is Beth. I listen to the podcast quite actively every week, or more like it keeps me company when I'm up with the little person in the wee hours of the morning. And I've been trying to come up with a pithy story to share, but I have nothing. But she also says, Tan's already got a big enough head from starring in the episode about Black Street. So please keep your references to his expertise to a minimum. Oh, maybe you shouldn't have read that. Sorry. (laughs) Pretty funny, though. Um, Anyway, thanks to all of you for writing in and contributing. And like I said before, we love it. And we'd love to hear more. If you have any ideas for a podcast, an episode of the podcast, feel free to chime them in. And that actually leads us to this week's podcast, which is a... From who? Our friend Eric on IRC Mm -hmm. uh, says, I request a podcast on 80s sax, like how it ended up in every song ever, no matter what. Yeah, that's true. So that's what we did. We have to find an event that occurred on October 1st. And the triggering event this week is in 1972, the self-titled Steeler's Wheel album debuted. Were you aware of this band, Steeler's Wheel? Yes, I was. Yeah, I think everyone knows that Stuck in the Middle with Mm. you song. But let me tell you the story of Steeler's Wheel before we get into its connection to Eric's request. So Steeler's Wheel was a Scottish folk rock band formed in 1972 in Paisley, Scotland, uh, by former school friends Joe Egan and Jerry Rafferty. By the time the album Steeler's Wheel was released, uh, Jerry Rafferty had left the band. (laughs) He had already left the band. That was quick. (laughs) Yeah, before the first album came out. Stuck in the Middle with You, as previously mentioned, reached number six on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and number eight on the U.K. Singles Chart. With the album also selling well, Rafferty was persuaded to return. However, everyone but Joe Egan, the other original founder, left the band when he came back. They Uh, must have really liked him. (laughs) Yeah, I know. All I could think is like, like, could you imagine the the meeting where they're like, uh, Jerry's coming back to the band and everyone else in the band is like, uh, <laughs> hard pass. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, sorry. Uh, um, so the band officially became a duo after that point with uh, various backing musicians on the other instruments. And after two more albums, neither of which was a commercial success, the duo disbanded in 1975. Uh, legal issues after the breakup of Steeler's Wheel meant that for three years, Jerry Rafferty was unable to release any material at all. After the disputes were resolved in 1978, he recorded his second solo album, which was City to City. That album included the song with which he is most identified to this day, Baker Street. So Baker Street, of course, famously... Yeah. That one. Do Let, you, let's just play a little bit yeah, of it. Let's because play. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of our audience uh-huh. is a little too young to know this song. Let's play it. So you probably heard it. Everyone's heard this. I think so. Uh, I love that song. Really? Do you, I mean, when you hear it now on the radio, 
Will you listen to it or will you change the station? I'll listen to it. Yeah, it's still listenable. And it's I, very evocative. I asked Max, have you ever heard of this guy, Jerry Rafferty? He said, no. And I said, well, have you heard of Baker Street? And he immediately said, yeah, oh yeah, I know that song. Wait, really? He knew it by name? Yeah, he said, bum, 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 ba, da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. That's awesome. It's So it must be like one of those beyond the song sort of pervasive. Well, clearly it is because it's sort of, as you're about to get into, it launched a saxophone revolution. Yeah. So that song came out in, what do we say? It was 79 or 78? 78, yeah. And I think I would say its success was the impetus for there being a sax solo in every (laughs) successful song for the next decade. You know, of course, if it works, it works. And people try and recreate success but there's no like definitive yes this is why or no this is well i mean i think we can authoritatively say that why yeah so we're gonna take that as the launching point for the remainder and we're gonna go through each year in the decade of 1980 through 89 and talk about sax solos in songs in those those years we have so many songs to talk about that we're actually going to split this episode up into two parts Well, think about the use of saxophones before this song. Yeah. You heard some like Chuck Berry type songs, saxophone, some 50s, 60s. But I think it was usually more in a horn section capacity. Yeah. I don't think anybody realized that like saxophone sounded like sexy city life before this song. (laughs) I think that's really what it implied. I think it's maybe it's more that it wasn't connected to rock music. Like it could be accompanying a rock song but if it's solo it's probably jazz let's talk about baker street itself right the artist behind the the sax solo in baker street who was that that was Raphael ravenscroft a name that i assume is a wizard he's a wizard (laughs) of some sort he was the oldest son of trevor ravenscroft author of the 1972 occult book, The Spear of Destiny. Oh, I know that book. (laughs) Tell me about that book. All I really know about it was, I guess, Hitler was also after The Spear of Destiny. What The Spear of Destiny is the spear that That pierced the side of Christ. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So does it have magic powers? Oh, sure it does. If you're into the occult, it does. So as he was trying to get the Ark of the Covenant... (laughs) He also was trying to get the Spear of Destiny, is what It's important to have all the yeah. significant relics. The Ark of the Covenant had the Ten Commandments inside of them. I'm asking yes. it as a question, but yes. I think I'm right. But it didn't have the Spear of Destiny in it as well. No, no. Did the, Was the Spear of Destiny the stick that um, Indiana Jones used to make the light shine through and identify where the now that makes perfect sense i don't know if that's true but i'm gonna say yes it is true <laughs> let's so, let's just interpret history as steven spielberg <laughs> <laughs> my entire uh, historical knowledge is based on movies that are dramatic <laughs> representations <laughs> mine is all based on romancing the stone yeah, that's right so ravenscroft claimed that he was only paid 27 uh 50 for Baker Street, because that was 20, the, 27 pounds, 50? Yeah, yeah. For, because uh, that was like a studio session going right for... Oh, yeah, he probably came session. in for like 15 minutes and yeah. just did it. Um, and that song is said to have earned Jerry Rafferty 80,000 pounds a year in royalties. Wow. But he did work with Jerry Rafferty from 
the seventies to like the beginning of the eighties. So, so he must not have been that upset. Yeah. Like, come on. And he claims to have written the riff for Baker street, but, uh, an almost identical riff had actually been written 10 years earlier for a jazz song by Steve Marcus called half a heart. Let's play it real quick. Okay. That does sound like a wackadoo version of Baker Street. <laughs> it's definitely inspired, right? It, even if it's not... Not intentional. I- intentionally. Yeah. He must have heard it. And uh, here's the thing. So earlier demo recordings for Baker, Baker Street uh, have that refrain, that da 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 the sax part, but played by Jerry Rafferty on the guitar, which were recorded before Ravenscroft was involved. So there's also no way he wrote it when the music already existed before he was involved in the recording. That's a good point. Yeah. So if anything, Jerry Rafferty stole it. I think I read something once about Jerry Rafferty wanting to sing that part. And then somebody else convinced him that he shouldn't. I would like to, I wonder if there are demos out there and I'm not going to look for them right now, but I wonder if there are demos of uh, different instruments playing that part. Mm-hmm. while they were attempting to do it. I'd like to hear that. So from that breakout session on Baker Street, uh, Raphael Ravenscroft, God, I love that name. It's so good. Went on to perform with Pink Floyd, uh, ABBA, and Marvin Gaye, amongst others. So he had a great career otherwise. I'm discovering from the research that you're going to hear about that good saxophone players really get around. I guess so, yeah. You'll see him perform with several artists in this set. Shall we jump forward to 1980? Yeah, so I guess people were just reeling from saxophone mania in 1979, (laughs) and then all the saxophone music started coming out in 1980. Can you get a shot for that now? Can you get a (laughs) tuberculosis and saxomania shot? (laughs) I'm pretty sure the entire population has been inoculated at this point. What are some of the songs that uh, came out in 1980 that featured a sax solo? We've got... uh, it's Still Rock and Roll to Me by Billy Joel. Yeah. Uh, Elton John, Little Genie. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm going to leave this one next one to you. Oh, yeah. Of course, Funky Town by Lips Incorporated. Did a little research. The performer of the saxophone on Funky Town was Cynthia Johnson, who was also the lead singer of Lips Incorporated. Hmm. Um, she had previously become well-known locally for winning the 1976 Miss Black Minnesota USA pageant. This country doesn't have a problem with race. And for being the lead vocalist of the well-known Minnesota band Flight Time for seven years. After she left Flight Time, they renamed themselves to Morris Day in the Time. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was that band. Funky Town in the song Funky Town is New York City. The guy who wrote the song was living in Minneapolis at the time with dreams of moving to New York and dreamed of it as a funky town. So, How do you feel about this song, Randall? I love funky town. Won't you take me to? I love the uh, robotic uh, voices in the middle of funky town. That's one of my favorite parts. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Can we play a little bit of funky town real quick? Yes. All right, let's do it. Yeah, it's catchy as hell. 
What's uh, what's a song you want to talk about in the year 1980? Uh, my 1980 song, I chose Roxy Music, The Same Old Scene. And it's not because I particularly like this song, but I am a really big Roxy Music fan. I don't know this song. Uh, we can play a little what? bit of it. They had sax or oboe in almost every song, which is awesome. (laughs) Oboe. The player on that is Andy McKay. He was a founding member of Roxy Music. Uh, He also worked later on with Duran Duran, Mott the Hoople, John Cale, John Cougar, and Paul McCartney. It's prolific. Yeah. He was still still with Roxy Music to this day. Did he get inducted into the Hall of Fame? He sure did. Nice. Let's move on to 1981, which is... I think it's really starting to ramp up in this year, if you look at the list. A ton of songs in 1981 featured sax solos, like I Can't Go For That by Hall & Oates and Urgent by Foreigner. We got Haircut 100, Boy Meets Girl, Rolling Stones, Waiting on a Friend, Christopher Cross, Arthur's Theme, I almost of picked, I almost went with that one. Yeah, it's, it's memorable. But what did you pick from this? Oh, I picked... Uh, one of the sax heaviest songs I can think of, which was uh, Quarter Flash, Harden My Heart. Oh. It leads with it. Quarter Flash was led by Rindy Ross. Uh, she did the lead vocals and saxophone. Uh, the band originally released the single Harden My Heart under the band name Seafood Mama, <laughs> which is kind of the most amazing band name ever. That's That was my band name, <laughs> Seafood, Seafood Daddy. Uh, this first single from Seafood Mama was actually a really big hit on Portland Radio. They were from Portland. Yeah. Got the band a one-hour special, Seafood Mama in Concert. Can you imagine if you seen that in the TV guide? <laughs> what your interpretation with the, of that would be? Like, what could it possibly mean? I have no idea. Anyway, that was um, that special happened on June fifth, in nineteen eighty. Harden my heart would later be re-recorded by the band once they changed their name to Quarter Flash, and of course, it was a massive hit then. That's by the way, we're, if we're counting, that's the second saxophonist with an alliterative double R name. Randy Ross. Randy Ross and Raphael Ravenscroft. <laughs> they should get married. Yeah, and Randall Rigo, see? So I'll, I'll be on the lookout for all those. Uh, I love that song. Did you love that song? It made me feel things. It made you feel things. <laughs> There's a, a line in it that our friend Sam <laughs> misinterpreted that I think it's hilarious. Do you want to tell that one? He, the line was, I'm going to swallow my tears. And he always thought it was swallow mighty earth. Swallow mighty earth. I'm gonna Which, swallow mighty earth. What does that mean? It means just like a planet eater. I assume it means fall down flat on your face and just put your face in the ground. Oh, I never thought about yeah. it that way. <laughs> like you're so heartbroken. My song from 1981, I will say, was one of my all-time favorites, which is Super Freak by Rick James. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't really remember the saxophone from it, but that was a it's good one. It's funky. Let's play it real quick. Watch it get off the street. 
The artist on that album was Daniel Lamel. The sax player? The sax player, mm-hmm. yeah. He had commercial success working with Rick James and his own band, the Stone City Band. And that includes a performance on SNL with Rick James doing Super Freak. So you can actually watch that video if you find it on the internet. He has a ton of album credits, but unfortunately the last one is that he worked on arranging the Suicide Squad soundtrack. <laughs> so, <laughs> But he's still doing work, still getting work. So he's still Hey, out there. there's no saying that wasn't quality. Yeah. In 1982, we had a whole bunch. These are some of my favorites, I think. Go for it. I think uh, that sax solo in Bad to the Bone, mm-hmm. that might be one of the first, like, real, just a rock song with a sax. That that sax sounds like it's got, it's clearing its throat. It sounds like a Clarence Clemens. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it is. Maybe I'm it not going to do the research. Don't look it up. Do not tell me what the answer is. Also, uh, Man Eater by Hall & Oates was another great one. Never Say Never by Romeo Void. Yeah. That's a great one. Oh, yeah, that song. That's a great one. Well, of course, Avalon by Roxy Music, but I didn't realize that there was sax in I Know What Boys Like by The Waitresses. I feel like the same, like, nah, 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 Just repeats the refrain. Yeah, it gets repeated. I almost talked about uh, Love Plus One by Haircut 100, (laughs) but I felt like I could not bypass Duran Duran Rio. Oh, yeah. Definitely. I think you made the right choice. Andy Hamilton was the saxophonist on that. He was a British tenor saxophonist who has played with, obviously, Duran Duran. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also played with Wham, Elton John, Pet Shop Boys, Tina Turner, George Michael, Paul McCartney, Radiohead, Bon Jovi, and David Bowie. Was he a, m- a full member of the band? He was not, but he did appear in the videos. Huh. So, like, he'd be, like, on a Brazilian hillside, like, wailing on the sax. Yeah. They needed a sax player. Why not get the one that actually played get it? Get the real dude. Yeah. The song that I picked in the the year 1982 was Men at Works, Who Can It Be Now? That's a good one. Who Can It Be Now? The artist who did the saxophone on that was a member of the band, Greg Hamm. A note about that was while recording the song, the producer wanted a saxophone solo and told Hamm to play anything just to get the tone. And they used that improvisation as a solo on the song. Wow. First take, man. Have a listen. Another note about that song that I thought was interesting was when they were writing that song, the lead singer, Colin Hay, was living in a... (laughs) (laughs) Moon Cookies being a space invader on Randall right now. The cat is walking up on the mic. So, uh, (laughs) can you hear the purring? (laughs) Oh my God. Gotta leave this. Cut this out. No, leave it in. The lead singer, Colin Hay, at the time of writing this, was living in an apartment complex next to drug dealers, and people would often confuse his apartment for the drug dealer's apartment. The number of people that would knock on his door unnerved him to the point where he was scared to open it, regardless of who was there. So, who can it be now is about being literally being afraid to open your front door.
a good song. I remember that song really well. That was kind of when Australia mania started for America, I think. Was it Beyond Men at Work? Well, it was like Men at Work, they were like a humongous hit. Like, I think that was the biggest record of the year on the Billboard charts. It's definitely one of the Columbia House selections I made. And then it was like, you know, uh, Olivia Newton-John was still popular. Crocodile at Dundee was about to happen. I remember every like girl at my school having like an Australia sweatshirt down under. (laughs) (laughs) There was lots of shrimps on Barbies at the time. Let's move on to 1983. There were some good good songs in this year that featured sax solo, like uh, Modern Love by David Bowie. I almost did that one. Yeah, that was good. That's a great song. And uh, Human Touch by Rick Springfield. Springfield? I do not remember that one. No? You don't remember that song? Mm-mm. We're not going to play it, so don't ask. But what did you do? I ended up going with the super iconic riff from True by Spandau Ballet. Uh, It was played by band member Steve Norman. And um, I don't really have much to say about this song, except that it's awesome. I agree. I like that song a lot. I don't think about the um, sax in that song, but I guess there is a ton of it other than the solo as well. Yeah. That solo is kind of weird because it sort of breaks out of the tone of the song, and then they just return to it, but Mm. whatever, it's fine. Uh, The song I picked that year was Donna Summers, She Works Hard for the Money. Oh, that's a good one. The guy that did the solo on that was Gary Herbig, and I, I pulled this directly from his his personal website, which I think is pretty funny. I'm just going to read it verbatim. If you've heard the clarinet solo on the TV program Cheers, or the wailing sax on Roseanne, then you've already been treated to his musical t- Nice. <laughs> uh, Gary has played on... Pop chart toppers such as Olivia Newton-John's Physical. Why isn't that on this list? Oh, I don't know. Maybe there's no solo. That's why it's not on the list. Uh, Donna Summer's Bad Girl. Not She Works Hard for the Money. And on jazz records by legends Herbie Hancock and George Benson. As a studio musician, he has played in on hundreds of movies and TV shows and more than 1,000 records. Damn. Aside from the theme to Cheers, his TV work include Knott's Landing, The Young and the Restless, Roseanne Home Improvement, and Showtime at the Apollo. Wow, that is quite a resume. Yeah, he's a pretty talented dude. I think also available to hire. Well, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. In 1984, mm. we had such things as Billy Ocean, Caribbean Queen, mm-hmm. The Heart of Rock and Roll by Huey Lewis and the News. Dance All Days by Wang Chung. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. The Glamorous Life by Sheila E. Oh, yeah. I get that stuck in my head all the uh-huh. time. How about One More Night by Phil Collins? I hate that song. <laughs> it's so freaking boring. Do you hate Phil Collins? No, I don't, actually. You like Phil Collins. And he seems like a fairly nice guy, but that song is, oh, boy. 
I heard a good interview. Let's sidetrack on Phil Collins. He wrote a book like either a year or two back uh, talking about his life. And I guess he never connected with his son. Mm -hmm. Like he toured and the son was never there. And the son picked up an instrument and is now part of his band. And he says, now I have the opportunity to be a father that I never did in, in my life. I got to say, that's really shitty. <laughs> I don't know. I felt kind of like, at least he tries. Like I mean, he it, tried now. No, hear me out. It's really cool that they have something to bond over now. Yeah. But the fact that he, as the adult, couldn't be like, hey, I'm going to go and be a part of your life and choose to be that. As a multi-billionaire <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Instead, it's like, mm, I'm going to wait for you to grow up. And well, then also you need to adopt something that's really important to me. And then we can talk. Well, as you know, every... Uh, musician professional musician rock star is a super narcissist (laughs) he's a really bad dad so uh what speaking of dads and touring with their sons what about wolfgang um van halen what about him touring with van halen do you think that's the same sort of situation where they can only be like part of the family if he's in the band or he was going to be in the band regardless i always just wonder like if they're never good enough for daddy oh god (laughs) Shane McMahon syndrome? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Um, Jason Bonham doesn't have this problem. No, because his father is dead. Right, but that's an interesting case of like the son replacing the father. Oh, and he seems genuinely genuinely super talented, though. Like, he seems like a great drummer. I don't doubt that some musical talent runs in the family. I don't like that Jason Bonham wears those bowler hats when he plays. (laughs) That's the part I don't like. I'm not a fan of that. But he's a great drummer. What was the song that was most interesting to you in the year 1984? Again, I very nearly went with Smooth Operator by Chardet. I mean, really, that's a sax song. I bet you it was one of the people we've talked about. <clears throat> yeah, probably was. But I really need to talk about the original sexy sax, <sighs> Careless Whisper. Oh, So Careless Whisperer is in some places called a Wham song, and in other places it's a George Michael song. What is it in your mind? Apparently it was on a Wham album, but it was released as a George Michael single. So it's a little confusing. I don't know. Does uh, the other guy in Wham, help me, what's his name? Uh, Andrew Ridgely. He actually helped write the song. So I don't, I don't really know. So Careless Whisperer apparently went through many rounds of production. This was a song that uh, George and Andrew wrote when they were teenagers, And uh, they wrote it about basically George Michael being a frustrated 14-year-old who was too nerdy to have girls like him. Yeah, right. So Careless Whisper went through many rounds of production, starting at Muscle Shoals Studios, of all places, in in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, George Michael hated how it sounded from there, uh, and he also hated the sax solo. He went back to London and recorded it again. And uh, after 10 other sax performances, 10 other soloists, wow, he finally got to Steve Gregory and uh, he recorded the solo and he liked it. But the way they recorded the solo was interesting. Um, it wasn't actually easy to play in the written key, especially since Steve had a Selmer Mark VI tenor sax and it didn't have a top F sharp key. 
So as a workaround, the engineer slowed the tape, the backing tape down, so that Steve could do it, record the whole thing uh, a semitone lower. Oh, that's weird. So when the the whole tape was played back at normal speed, it sounded like an alto sax. So it also probably slowed it down a little bit. Yeah, well. probably. And but it, that whatever that was, it finally got the sound that George Michael had wanted. How could they ever play that live? Live? I have no idea. I maybe they made they made a sax that worked with it, or maybe, maybe they recorded it. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. I wonder if Raphael Ravenscroft was one of the people that they got to record. Oh God, I wouldn't this. be surprised. Yeah. Seriously. Steve Gregory was a session player on many other tracks, most notably to me, the Rolling Stones' Honky Tonk Women. It's a lot of sax and sax appeal on that one. He was actually one of two saxophonists on that song. Oh, neat. How about you? Oh, my pick for 1984 was Bruce Springsteen's Dancing in the Dark. Oh, that's a good one. Dancing in the Dark was actually the first single released off of the Born in the USA album. I had no idea. I remember that. It was his biggest hit and helped propel that album to become the best-selling album of his career. Um, And as you can guess, the saxophonist on that album was the great Clarence Clemens. The thing that I thought would be more interesting to talk about Clarence Clemens, other than his sax career, because it's all over the place... Um, he was also a prolific actor. Really? Prolific? Yeah, prolific. Clarence Clemens appeared in several movies and on television. He made his screen debut in Martin Scorsese's 1977 musical New York, New York, in which he played a trumpet player. Have you ever oh, seen man, this movie? I have not seen that. I remember hearing about it. I totally forgot. I have not seen it, but I'm going to put it on my to-watch list. I bet it's bad. <laughs> I've never, I mean, the fact that I had not really heard of it must mean it was terrible. A major director in his prime has a totally forgotten musical. Yeah, oof. Uh, he played, Clarence Clemens, that is, not Martin Scorsese, played one of the three most important people in the world in uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, I forgot about yeah. that. Um, and in 1985, Clemens was a special guest star on Different Strokes the, in the episode So You Want to Be a Rock Star. Wow, I can't believe Different Strokes was still going on at that point. <laughs> yeah. He was also a guest voice on an episode of The Simpsons. And in 1990, he co-starred in the pilot episode of Human Target, a Rick Springfield action series. We gotta find that. <laughs> we totally have to find that. Oh my God. Was Rick Springfield also an actor? In he was. He was on um, soap operas. Oh my goodness. Clarence Clemens also played the role of Jack in the movie Swing, which I never heard of. Never heard of it. Uh, he appeared alongside Michael McKean and David Bowie as a minor in one episode of The Weird Al Show. What? <laughs> All of those things are blowing my mind. Yeah. Uh, he made a cameo appearance in the 1990s sequel to the Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers 2000, which sucked, <laughs> as part of the Louisiana Gator Boys. That was actually one of the funniest parts of that dumb movie where they were in a battle of the bands and the name of the band, of course, was the Louisiana Gator Boys. And the Blues Brothers were like, 
who are these chumps? We're going to beat these guys. No problem. And the band turns out to be like an all-star band with BB King and, and uh, Eric Clapton and all this stuff in a dumb movie. One good scene. Clarence Clemens also appeared in an episode of Damon Wayans television show, my wife and kids probably as Clarence Clemens and uh, twice Clarence Clemens appeared uh, as a youth program organizer in HBO's crime drama, The Wire. I don't remember that. Yeah, me neither. I guess we didn't recognize him. Yeah, they didn't really call him. He's like a, a community organizer that just happens to really wail on the sacks every time he shows up. Uh, that's all I have to say about Clarence Clemens. Uh, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. So let's see. Now we're up to 1985. Yeah. There's, uh, there's, can you believe it? There's even more yeah. sax solos in 1985. It's ramping up every year. There's some good ones here. All right. Corey Hart, Never Surrender, was mm-hmm. not his biggest hit, but I always really liked it. Yeah. Uh, what You Need by NXS. Glenn Fry, You Belong to the City. Yeah. Tina Turner, We Don't Need Another Hero. Uh-huh. Uh, back in Time and, by Hugh Oh, Lewis yeah, in Back the in News. Time. And Freeway of Love by Aretha Franklin. And of course freeway of love but what's the song that you thought was most interesting oh so i this is actually a nod back to eric this is one of those songs that we profoundly disagree about this is a night like this by the cure which has a saxophone solo in it Yeah, I always thought that was real weird. That's what he said, but I think it's great. But maybe that's because the, that's the first Cure album I ever really heard. What was the album? Uh, it was Head on the Door. Hmm. What else was on? Anything else on that? Album? Uh, In Between Days, a bunch of a bunch of songs I like, but it, it's one of those things that I had the album of. So it's like I listen to every single song, so I don't really even know what the other singles were. And yeah. whatever, I guess I don't have the saxophone bias that some people have. No. I'll stop the conversation and quickly say that I do love saxophone. I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't feel like it's a, a detriment and I, I enjoy it. It's an automatically dated sound because yeah. of the era it was popular in. Yeah. The overuse probably. The overuse. It's like it's like ragtime piano. It's like it's just it it encapsulates an era. Anyway, the sax on a night like this was played by a guy named Ron Howe. All I know about him is that he is on Facebook. Okay. As Honkin' Ron. <laughs> Did you friend him on Facebook? I thought about it and Let's then I didn't. It. Let's friend uh, Honkin' Ron. Honkin' Ron. If you know Honkin' Ron or are uh, connected to him, please reach out and let us uh, let's have a chat with Honkin' Ron. <laughs> So that's my pick. Who did you like for 1985? Well, I picked the most iconic song featuring saxophone solo uh, as performed by a professional football team. And oh. that is the Chicago Bears Super Bowl Shuffle. Of course. So, 
it was a, excuse me it was a simpler time when <laughs> football teams could decide they were going to do rap songs and there are tons of them but this was actually not even the first rap song by a football team i the feel 49ers. like this is, this is the most well-known oh it is easily the most ex- successful it was nominated for a grammy oh my god yeah. why yeah <laughs> nightmare uh one thing that i thought was interesting about the super bowl shuffle song was they had this idea as this the season was going really well and they only lost one one game the entire season and they recorded this song the day after they lost their only game of the season which is sort of weirdly arrogant they're not even in the super bowl when they record this song they they still have to play through the entire postseason playoffs and then also win the super bowl to merit this song but they're just like fuck it we're here for to play in the super bowl even though we're not in it yet. that's called believing in yourself randall i guess so so one wait of, did they make it yeah they did they made it to the super bowl <laughs> and won but one of the teammates one of the, i can't remember his name but one of the defensive linemen i think uh, refused to participate in this because he said it would jinx them and not they would not make it to the Super Bowl. I don't so, blame him. Yeah, it's funny. I think about this uh, in tandem with things like the California raisins, mm-hmm. but truly that is a disservice to the California raisins. <laughs> it really is. The California raisins. You have to go back and listen to the California raisins episode to get my opinion on the raisins. Uh, the artist who played the sax solo was not the running back for uh, for the, for the for the Chicago Bears who appeared in the video as the saxophonist, but it was a man by the name of Steve Eisen, who is a Chicago-based jazz musician uh, who has a ton of rock credits, including Styx and Johnny Winter. Uh, He also played with Dennis DeYoung solo, so I guess he had a lot of connection with them. I didn't see him playing on any Chicago albums, which would have made sense also. The band Chicago? Yeah. I'm pretty sure the band Chicago kept their own saxophonist all the years. They probably had a couple. Yeah. So that's the end of part one of our podcast. That is a lot of sax. Yeah. Tune in uh, next week for part two of the 80s sax. Sax solos in the 80s. Uh, Thanks for listening. And I love you. Keep in touch. Bye-bye. Bye.